0: Let's uh, read God's word in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and verse 9. By the way, I'm Greg Lingle. I've been here uh, 25 years. <laughs> yes. I really like this church a lot. <laughs> but let's read God's word. It says this in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. Go ahead and be seated. I uh, read this morning because I wanted to take a minute and just to talk to everybody. I know the praise team's gonna get down, for, uh, sit down here for a second. So last week we had our vote in regards to our new building and our project that we have going on. And so after the vote, out of our church members, we had 123 yes, uh, five no, and one abstained. So the, the vote had passed. So the question becomes, well, what's next? And so there's been a lot of discussion over the last few months just about the building, but also about what would be those next steps. So today, we're actually starting a series we had already planned uh, based on some of the leadership when we were talking about how, like, once a year, we need to talk about generosity. We need to talk about finances or giving and those kinds of those kinds of things. So last year we did Heart of Worship, and or I'm sorry, Worship Through Generosity. And this, today we're gonna to be starting a series called Heart of Worship. And today Greg Buckles will be preaching and next week will be Matt and the following week will be myself. And then Paul Duran, one of our elders, will be speaking after that. All of this on regards to the Heart of Generosity. One of the things we also will do is beginning on the 22nd of this month, is that we'll start handing out like uh, faith promise cards or commitment of faith cards. where we're asking you, we're beginning a campaign, and we're asking you to give towards this building that we can be able to build it and put it up. We're asking that from the 22nd of this month through November that you take the card, put it on your mirror, your fridge, wherever you can see it, and just pray about it. Just ask God. You know, when, um, when I was in Maine, about a month ago and praying about this building and everything. And, you know, and the Lord just said, Greg, don't worry about this. I was fretting over a lot of different things. And the Lord said, don't worry about this. If it's yes, it's yes. If it's no, it's no. And that's kind of how the attitude I went. Well, we're at that place again. Now we're asking you to go to God and ask God. What would be your part in this building? So through the month of November, we'll be receiving those cards and those commitments. So we would know in December, we're having our First Fruits Month. We're asking you then at that point to begin the process of our campaign. We're asking you to be committed for three years. And as we would give towards this building, that we would be able to to build this building and use it for the purpose of of teaching our kids and the Bible Institute and Bible studies we have. If you haven't been here on a Wednesday night, you need to come. There's people all over the place. Awana's is growing like crazy. Our students are growing. We have Bible studies going on. We have the Institute going on. There's, There's just a lot taking place. And so we're looking forward to even having that space as well. On the 22nd as well, we're going to have an all-church gathering. And that's when we'll begin that uh, campaign. Uh, we're going to have the, out here, we'll have food trucks. We'll have some bounce houses. If the weather's good, we'll have a climbing wall. Just a great time to hang out together and be able to see the building. So I would encourage you, even now, even before you have the cards, be going asking God what to do and what is he going to do. I'm trusting God in all this, and I pray and ask that you will as well. Just join us in this time. All right. Hey, Greg.
1: Well, good morning. I want you to turn with me to uh, First Chronicles. Uh, not one that you normally hear a message from too often, but uh, some amazing stuff in God's Word. Amen. And so we want to. We're going to be looking specifically at verse nine, of First Chronicles twenty nine. But I'm actually going to be looking at a couple of chapters, 28 and 29. And so uh, keep uh, yourself ready to move around a little bit. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, cover a lot of ground. But there's some really neat stuff. In order to understand verse 9, which Greg Lingle read, uh, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for, with a whole heart. and We talk about this as a heart of generosity with a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord, David the king also rejoiced greatly. Why did they do that? What led them to this point of rejoicing greatly? And we kind of got to back up a little bit in order to understand. There was one thought that I had this week that just kept coming back to me. God built a building. And I couldn't get away from that thought. God built a building. He built a tabernacle first and gave some very detailed plans. uh, Some of your most favorite part of scripture, I'm sure, right? (laughs) Maybe if you're an architect, uh, you might love that section. For the rest of us, we're kind of, we get, you know, our ball lost in the weeds. Uh, You may even fall asleep reading that section because, but it's important that he, that to, to understand that God Took part of his word and he gave out detailed plans. We see in our own passage in chapter 28 and verse uh, 19, when David was talking about uh, the plans and he was giving the plans to Solomon, his son. In 19, it says, All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work uh, to be done according to the plan. God gave a plan again to his people for the temple. And then we see not only that plan, we see God uh, bringing about a second building of the temple through Zerubbabel when the first one was torn down. And then in Ezekiel, talking about a future temple that one day is going to be rebuilt. And you kind of go, what is the reason for all of this? Why is it that God... Built a building. Because buildings don't seem to be sufficient. And in fact, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, in 2 Chronicles, in chapter 6, he's he's dedicating this temple, and what he says is this. He says, but will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So why did he build a building if it wouldn't contain God? Why? What is the purpose of this building that God built? And why is it so important to have a tabernacle, a temple, a temple rebuilt, and then some future temple that you kind of think, well, Jesus already died on the cross, why would we even need a temple? It must not be for sacrifice. And it possibly was never meant for that to be the sole purpose and focus. The sacrificial system pointed out how much we sin. I'm surprised that there are any animals alive today in the country of Israel. (laughs) Because if I would have been a Jewish guy in Israel, I would have had, just for me, I would have probably had to sacrifice every animal they had. And yet they had a whole nation of people. And when you look at Romans chapter 3 especially, there's none of us righteous. And so the purpose of the sacrificial system, I get it, what's the purpose of the building? Why was there a building behind this sacrificial altar, the bronze altar, the bronze, all the stuff that was there, why was there a building at all? Jesus says in John chapter 4, But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So He doesn't need a building. When we worship, and in fact, He's answering and talking to the woman at the well, and she was saying, Well, is it on this mountain or the one in Jerusalem? Jerusalem. On that mountain used to be a temple, the Samaritan temple. And then in, in Jerusalem was the temple that was still there at that time in Jesus' day that Herod had taken, uh, that Zerubbabel had built. And then he amplified it and he, and he made it more glorious. Spent 40 years at least doing that. Why did Why a building? When he was telling Moses in Exodus 25, it says, And let, me make, uh, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And I thought about that and I thought, wait a minute. God is everywhere. God already dwelt in their, dwelt in their midst. So why, why this building? What's the significance of this building and what it communicates according to what he told Moses, is God's presence. A building communicates God's presence. What happened whenever a believer comes to Christ, when a person believes on Jesus and receives him, as John 1:12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, that is, to those who believe in his name. What happens? We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the temple moved from that temple mound that, on that top of Mount Zion, on the top of that hill where, where Abraham brought Isaac, his son, was going to sacrifice him. God provided, didn't do it. On that hill where, where David uh, uh, bought, the, bought that hill from, uh, depending on which passage you read, uh, whether it's Chronicles or it's, it's Samuel, uh, it's, his name's Aruna or Ornan, or both. Probably both. The plague was checked. David made a census of the people, and the plague stopped at that spot. And God was saying, "This is the spot. By this spot, David bought it." Now, if you go back and look, you find out that uh, Ornan wanted to give him that. That spot. Remember what David said in that moment? He says, I won't give to God something that costs me nothing. I won't do it. Sacrificial giving, we have this heart of giving from David, this heart to give sacrificially, to give something significant, to buy this place, And he was involved in that process because God was going to build a building. Why? To communicate the presence of God and to be a place for the gathering of the people of God. So presence and community all comes together in one place. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ... Presence and community comes together in us, among us. Yes, God is in this place, but remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 18. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, what? There I am. In what sense? Because he's already here There's there's somehow a special sense about the presence of God. Do you feel it this morning? As we're worshiping God together? You know, it's interesting because I came in and I was kind of struggling with, uh, you know, my uh, different things that are going on in my life, you know, or different things, different feelings, different emotions, kind of tired. And we're singing and I'm singing the songs and I'm praying God help me to and, and then just that very last little bit where there was no music and there were just the words and just hearing you guys sing. And I got choked up because of God, because of who he is. I needed you this morning. I needed your presence here to encourage my heart, to stir my heart, And I would imagine that each of us, at moments of time, when we when we when we start talking to the Lord, that he he opens our hearts to him, and we fight it sometimes, right? (laughs) God built a building. And it's not necessarily necessary, is it? Because can't ministry happen without a building? And somebody brought that up uh, in the vote process, and I I really appreciated that point. And maybe I was thinking about that. Can we worship without a building? Absolutely. Can we do ministry without a building? Yes. And yet God built a building. And it kind of makes you scratch your head. Why did he do that if it wasn't necessary, if it... What's the purpose of a building? I thought about the early Christians in Rome. They had to meet in the catacombs because of persecution. I thought of different places that I've been in the world. In Haiti, there was a four poles and thatch on the top and a dirt floor, no walls and just benches to sit on, no back. I guess you had to be a young person to go to that church. <laughs> or in good shape. And so I, I, I mean, and then I see in Ecuador where, where they didn't have some churches and we, we began to build churches for them or with them and, and it was just bricks. It just, I mean, just bricks with, with rebar running through them and, and, and the brick is the outside and inside wall with a metal roof on top. And then they poured a concrete floor after we, after we left. I've seen buildings in in other places that are concrete blocks, Hadite blocks. In fact, I was I was thinking about that, how resilient the church is. Because it's not just about the buildings, but the building is something. In fact, I really started wrestling with that because I thought, you know, something that struck me in seminary when I was wrestling with stuff and wrestling with different perspectives. Uh, I remember ta- you know, singing this song. It was an old hymn. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You know, and I was just thinking about these different songs. And something really hit me in one of my classes. One of the professors started talking about the fact of how Greek philosophy is that matter is evil and spirit is good. And we need to get rid of matter and enter into spirit. We see it in, in, in uh, Eastern thought, Eastern religion, that somehow we need to have out-of-body experiences, that we somehow need to dispense with the body. And yet, you, when you study Scripture, the body is going to be resurrected. In, in Luke 24, 39, you have Jesus saying to the disciples, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Glorified body, flesh and bones. Wow. So here's what hit me as I was thinking about that this week. We got to be careful. And I know I've said it too. Uh, it's not about the uh, church. is not about the building. It's about the people. And then you think, wait a minute, if I just bought into Greek philosophy, because I'm basically saying this building is nothing, this building is unimportant. Is a building important? God built a building. And I couldn't get past that thought this week. God built a building. Why? To communicate his presence and to communicate community. Be a place where we gather. And I began to think, well, even in the catacombs, they had a a GPS coordinate where they gathered. And they had a roof over their heads, even though it was a cave. In Haiti, they had thatched roof. In other places, metal roofs. In fact, I read something that that uh, J. Vernon McGee, a guy that I loved listening to when I was a brand new believer, he was on the radio, he talked about, he says that a building should, should look like the neighborhood in which it's in. And I thought, that's what I've seen all over the world. The building of the church that they meet in looks like the community. In some places, they have to hide, so it's a home. Other places, they don't have to hide. You see, you see almost every time when they don't have to hide anymore, they build a place and so it's not unimportant, that place, because it's a place where ministry takes place. It's a place of presence, it's a place of community. In fact, what I realize is so many times we have a weak ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, the theology of the church. And we think, oh, church is not important. Oh, no, the service is not important. It's just me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit, and we're good. I remember thinking that as a brand new believer because I was a little disillusioned with the church or I wasn't getting as much out of the the church. And so I I just kind of, I blew it off. And then as I was studying my Bible, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart is whose church is it? Uh, It's yours. It's your body. And if I'm avoiding it, if I'm staying away, I'm missing something important here. I'm missing something very important. When I'm just saying it's me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit, I really don't even have the Holy Spirit involved in that as much as I think I do because you have gifts I don't have. And if I'm by myself, I'm missing out on the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so I'm missing out on what the Holy Spirit intended for me. And I may come into this service thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just coming because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to you or I'm going to give to you or I'm going to minister to this person And every time, ministry is always two-way. I come away with my heart full because of you, because of things that you share with me, because of your faithfulness to the Lord, because of things that I hear about you and what God is doing in your life. And I just want you to know, I love being around you. I love what God is doing in your heart. And I need it. And God design, designed us to be together and that, that together, yeah, the universal body of Christ all over the place. I go all over the world and it doesn't matter where I go. I, uh, when I'm in Pakistan, the believers gather around and we have great fellowship. When I go to Tanzania, great fellowship. In Ecuador, great fellowship with other believers. And we have this thing in common, it's Jesus. We have this thing in common, forgiveness of sins. Salvation and mercy by the Almighty God. But when it comes to a local body of believers, there's a place. What does this place communicate to our community that lives around here? Presence of God, community of believers. I mean, think about that. That's powerful. Why is it that in China, they're bulldozing church buildings? Because they don't want that testimony around them. Why is it in Pakistan, in Faisalabad, 30 churches were burned this year? And the Christians' homes as well. Because they knew they would just meet in the homes if they left the churches. So they burned them both. 500 believers that I know of that were displaced. Some of them living in the woods until they could figure out what to do next. What does the community see that as? A testimony to God, a testimony to Jesus Christ, a testimony of God's presence in their community, and they're trying to push it out. And I began to think about the church building, especially this week, a little bit differently because I just couldn't get past this one statement God built a building. And so, I, as I was looking at this passage, I know we were talking about, yeah, we're going to be building a building, and we're talking about generosity, and obviously we're going to be asking for your, your uh, uh, in involvement in this process. And so I went to this passage, but I was really stirred. I was stirred by something that really hit me. This is David, King David, a man after God's own heart. And these are his last words to Israel. You know, in in Acts chapter 1, we see the last words of Jesus to the the world, Acts 1-8. And he gives us a great commission, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, that's in Matthew 28. He says, you're going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. I want you to be witnesses, Right? You you expect that as last words from Jesus. And and so when I was going to hear a man after God's own heart and he's talking about giving? What? He's talking about a building? His last words? Usually last words are some of our most important. If I had my family gathered around me and I was, I was dying, I would want to make sure those are important words that I'm getting ready to speak. These are important words. In fact, we see the heart of David. And I'm going to kind of go through several uh, of these passages a little bit quickly, but I hope slow enough that you can stay with me. Go to 28, verse 2. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. He said, I had it in my heart to build a house. I had it in my heart. He had it in his heart to do something that that he knew that God wanted. The plans were in Moses. Uh, I mean, you look at it, there were several hundred years that had gone by, and the house still hadn't been built. They were still using the the tabernacle in the wilderness, which probably had to be repaired over and over, I'm sure. He said, I had it in my heart to build a house. And he jumped down to verse 3, But God said to me, you may not. We don't like those words, do we? I mean, it's okay if God says it to somebody else, but we don't like it when he says it to us. You may not. You may not build a house for my name, for you're a man of war, and you've shed blood. So you're not, you're not the God. And you would think that at that point, many of us would get our feelings hurt and go, well, then you find somebody else to build your you know, sorry house. Right? I mean, we wouldn't say that to the Lord, but we'd be thinking it. And he knows we're thinking it. It's amazing how many times we think, I'm not going to say that to the Lord. And it's like, he already knows what's in my heart. Right? He can read my mind. And so then I couch it. Lord, here's how I'm feeling. And I know you know this. And I'm hurt. He had to have felt some hurt through this process. And in fact, he says, He says, he says he, in verse four, yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from my father's house, from all my father's house, to be king over Israel forever. You would think, I mean, I, I think his next thought is, he doesn't say it here, next thought would be, you would think that you would choose me to build a house because I'm going to be the forever king. No. And then in verse five, he says, and of all my sons, he's chosen Solomon. It almost sounds like he wouldn't have chosen Solomon. In fact, I think he would have chosen Absalom if he would have stumbled alive. And in 6, he says, it's Solomon who shall build my house. So God chose him. He could have just said, okay, fine, do it yourself. That's not what he did. He did everything he could in and around except for building the thing. He bought the property. He gave Solomon the plans. He provided the financing. He did the, the capital campaign himself. All Solomon had to do was build the temple. And all he told Solomon was, in verse 9 of chapter 28, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and every thought. Here again is this idea of heart, whole heart, searches the heart, do it with all your heart. And he didn't do that, did he? We see in, in uh, Scripture in Second Chronicles that his heart was drawn away. The wives that he had, he had married, they drew his heart away from the Lord, so that he didn't serve the Lord with a whole heart, it says. He didn't serve the Lord with a whole heart. It wasn't the wives' fault, it was his fault. He didn't choose to keep walking with the Lord. He made wrong choices that led him to that point. And then he says in verse 10, Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Sounds kind of like the, the charge that was given to Joshua. Moses wasn't able to enter the promised land. David wasn't able to build the temple. Joshua, he said, be strong and courageous. And notice what he says, David says to Solomon in verse 20. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. And I asked the question, I asked myself the question, why would you need to be courageous to build a building? Why, it seems like if you were going to battle, that would make sense. Why would you need to be courageous to build a building? Well, first thing is, you have to have the courage to say, hey, let's build a building. And everybody looks at you like you have a third eye. What? Build a building? Yes, build a building. We find ourselves fearful whenever we mention the word, the idea, and we think about all that it entails. We've got to raise the money for the thing. What is it going to look like? Is God going to be pleased? Are the people going to get behind it? All these different, the, uh, is the timeline going to work? When you put the timeline together, you, you interview contractors, you interview bankers, you interview all these different people and you're trying to figure out, wow, this is a process that I wasn't trained or equipped for. I learned how to study the Bible in seminary. I didn't have a construction class. I didn't have a banking class. So you begin to talk to people and begin to figure out the process and you wonder, how's it all going to work? Is it going to work? Is it going to all fall apart? You don't know. It's a journey of faith and it's a journey of faith that you're taking a whole group of people through. I did that when we bought this place. We were on Dallas Street in a little small building. I know what it is to be in a small building that people don't think much of. In fact, I had one guy Who told me, he says, I came to Mansfield Bible Church because of the buildings. I looked at him and I thought, you gotta be crazy. We got the ugliest buildings in the whole Metroplex over there on Dallas Street. And he said, When I saw these buildings, ugly as they are, and I saw all these cars in the parking lot, I thought something neat must be going on inside for all these people to go to those buildings. And so I was struggling with, do we, do we come here? And I mean, God grew us there. and Are we supposed to come here? And God just opened up different doors, and he directed us. And we started out with a plan to build a building, and, and that plan fell apart because the contractor said, you're 200000 short on this deal. And we were like, well, what are we going to do next? And then we got an offer for the land that we were going to build on, and so we started looking at another piece of property and put a contract down on a $1.2 million thing. We went from thousands to millions within a few weeks. And then this thing became available. And I just thought, it's crazy for us at our size to buy this place. But God opened the doors and God showed us how to do it. And I remember standing on this stage and saying, you know, many, pe- many churches, when they build their building, they build it and then you see it never changes for the next 50 years. Because they had a dream. They fulfilled it and they're done. And I said, I don't want this to be a place where we stop dreaming big dreams for God. I don't want us to move here and become satisfied. We have a world to reach. We have a community to reach for Jesus and I want us to keep reaching it. And it involves a lot of different things and some of that process is giving, making space for people to come. Otherwise, they think they're not wanted. And so I, 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 I learned from David. I, I took this step and I realized he said, you need to be strong and courageous. And so I realized I needed to be strong and courageous as we followed this process. And I realized it's a spiritual process. It's a process of faith. And it still is. We see that with, when you get to chapter 29. 29. David gave freely, it says, and and David, King said to him, 29, 1, to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and and inexperienced. I'm sure he didn't like hearing that. And the work is great, for the place will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Any buildings that we built, these are his. They're not ours. They're his, they're for him. And he says, so I have provided for the house of God so far as I was able the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver. He even goes on later in, in verse 3, says, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. And then he, call, he issues a call. Join me. Who then will offer freely, consecrating himself today to the Lord? A free will offering is what he's asking for. Not one that's planned, not one that's coerced, not one that's guilt. My whole purpose today is not to guilt you in, twist any arms or whatever. It's just, will you join us in, this, in, in moving forward in the direction that we feel the Lord has led us? Will you join us in it? And the leaders joined in in verse 6. Then the leaders of the Father's house Houses made their free will offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work, and then it talks about what they gave. And then in verse eight, "And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord." And these people must not have had much. They were shepherds, they were farmers. And they were giving freely. And then we come to verse nine, then the people rejoiced. There's joy in giving like that. There's joy in watching the hand of the Lord work. When you take this huge step like we did years ago whenever we came to this place in about 2005 when we bought it, and so before that, when we began to just trust the Lord and say, Lord, we have no idea where this is going. We thought we were going to be building a little 15,000-square-foot building and God provi- on, on about uh, six acres. God provided us an 11- to 12-acre parcel here with you know 70,000 square foot of building I was like Lord what are you going to do here more than you can imagine more than you can imagine and so they rejoiced with great rejoicing said they with exceeding they rejoiced greatly why it says then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly and with a whole heart Therefore, David, blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our God forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And then in 14, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own we have given to you. We're just giving back to God what's his. We're not owners. You look at your your financial statement, you're not an owner. You've been given and entrusted with God's money. What are you going to do with it? He wants us to reach the world for him is what he wants us to do. Yeah, he wants us to enjoy some of it as well. Just like when we give a gift to our children, we want them to enjoy it. But he wants to reach a world for him. He wants a place where his presence is evident. Because the believers who have gathered together have Jesus in their hearts. And when a person comes among us, they go, Wow, God is here. He's in this place. I remember when I first moved here and I started this church. The thing that I thought was this. If we were to close our doors today, has anybody's life changed? Has anybody come to Christ? Has anybody been baptized? Have they grown in their faith? Has their marriage been saved? And over 39 years of being here, I can say yes. And I can't wait to see what more God is going to do in and through the believers gathered here that as we gather together, as we communicate God's presence with us, because of us working together in a community watching and seeing us work together in unity together, wow, what great rejoicing is going to happen. What great worship we're going to have or continue to have, I should say, because we have a God who We're going to see his hand work. When, we, when you step out for him, you have to be courageous. But when you do, you see his hand at work. Yeah. You see him do things that you, you, would not, you would miss otherwise. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we're asking you to work. We pray along with David. And we pray these words. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand... It is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. The God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, stir our hearts, O Lord. Help us to do what you desire for us to do. Stir our hearts to give. Stir our hearts to pray about what we would do, how we would get involved. And Lord, we pray that our working together is a step of faith, a step of trusting you. Give us courage, Lord. Help us simply to follow you. And Lord, I pray that we would reach this community for you. Use us, Lord.